This is the Push Shift Podcast, a broad look at the hospitality industry. Welcome back, Push Shifters, to another episode, obviously, of the Push Shift Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Very obvious that if you're listening to this, you probably know my name by now. Well, very hopefully. And if you don't know my name by now and you're listening for the very first time, welcome to the Post Shift Podcast. Um, this episode is episode number 34 of the podcast, but also number ep- uh, episode number five of the Toronto Cocktail Conference sessions. And I was very lucky enough in back in um, August to visit Toronto, one of my favorite little city, well, one of my favorite little cities, one of my favorite cities in Canada, and experience the Toronto Cocktail Conference again. Uh, Josh and Jess and Gord and John uh, just amazing people that organize this event, and this year they asked me to be the official podcaster, which for someone who's only been podcasting for nine months, uh, it was very surreal and very humbling that they asked me to do that, and I basically just set up my my uh, studio in my hotel room and just brought friends and mentors and people in the industry that I really look up to uh, to coming up an interview and so I did end up doing 13 podcasts for the entire two days which was intense speaking it was basically like doing seminars all day long but this episode here is with one of my favorite nicest actually one of my favorite nicest people who is Paul Clark who is the executive editor of the Imbibe magazine and if you haven't if you're in North America and you don't know what Imbibe magazine is uh, you really should go out and find out and figure out uh, what you can get because he is an amazing writer, leader, um, speaker. Um, I really just was lucky enough to sit down and talk with him because at the end of the day, I'm still always going to be the Australian country boy that moved to Canada and was lucky enough to become best friends with people like Paul Clark and Philip Duff and Gary Reagan and all these like stalwarts of the industry that I now get to call friends. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Um, it was one of my favorite episodes because he's such a quiet sort of reserved guy, but he is just an epic like pillar of our community and has helped us so much to build a cocktail culture like it is. So I really hope you enjoy this episode, guys. Uh, have a good week. Bye. But with the podcast, I keep it pretty fluid. Okay. Uh, I don't... I usually just roll into it. Okay, cool. Keeps it pretty easy and light mm-hmm. and fresh. Um, so usually I just start by just asking, like, how about you introduce yourself? Okay, fantastic. Uh, well, I'm Paul Clark. I'm the executive editor of Imbibe Magazine, and uh, I've been a cocktail and spirits journalist for close to 15 years now. Wow. How'd you get into it? Like, I always, I, I ask, I sat down with Christine Zismondo and Steve Beaumont today and asked the same questions. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's almost totally by accident. Uh, I was working as a journalist before, and, uh, you know, you just kind of look around for what's interesting to you, what, what do you want to devote years and years of your life to, and uh, somehow I just kind of came across uh, cocktails at one point. I think I was just, you know, surfing around online, came across the Drink Boy Forum. This would have yeah. been probably around uh, 2002, 2003 <laughs> or so. I've, I've mentioned the, the lack of internet and smartphones a number of times when people start talking about the starts of their careers. Yeah, and yeah exactly. And <laughs> during the Drink Boy Forum. Right. Like right. dial-up, double gullet, Yeah, you know, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, within that first week, I came across, I came across Dave Wondrich and Dr. Cocktail and... Uh, that just kind of set things rolling. And also keeping in mind that, you know, back then, 2002, 2003, um, it was still 
the, the whole cocktail thing was still relatively in its yeah. infancy. Um, so it was totally possible to, you know, to go to Amazon and buy, pick up a copy of David Inbury uh, for ten for ten dollars. Yeah. You know? So um, you oh, know, those were the days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so that helped, and uh, you know, after. Um, Really, after less than a month of uh, of just kind of like checking it out and checking out some books and and uh, you know looking around online, uh, I was hooked. I was absolutely hooked. Really? Yeah, yeah. What was it that like? Was it just the from a journalist standpoint, like doing that research, and then all of a sudden the research starts snowballing and snowballing and snowballing? It was partially that. You know, the, the wonderful thing about spirits and cocktails uh, then as as now, and you know, going back to you know as long as there have been cocktails. It goes with stories. It goes so well with stories. You know, um, we we can talk for days on end about you know the different kinds of rum that you can use in a daiquiri and the proper daiquiri construction. But really, the story of cocktails is the story of bars and the story of people, and uh, and that is endlessly fascinating. Uh, and it just gives you so many directions, and it's and they're colorful stories. They're interesting stories. Um, yeah, there's you know you get into some dull avenues. Uh, you know, the, <clears throat> any kind of research leads in that direction. But uh, you know they're fascinating stories. They're fun stories uh, with real people, some great history, and you know it's it's just interesting. It's lively. It keeps it keeps you uh, engaged. Does it keep you engaged even after fifteen years? Like even after like really go back in 2000, 2003, there was, like, there's Dave Wondrich, but Dave Wondrich wasn't Dave Wondrich, mm-hmm. and Ted Haig wasn't Ted Haig, and so right. they started publishing books and stuff. So the amount of information that's come out in the last 20 years, or almost 20 years, um, does it keep you engaged and keep you, like, hungry for the next story and the next little... It, it, it does somewhat. I mean, you know, I, I have had to adjust my thinking, um, partially just to keep myself engaged, uh, because if you keep doing anything over and over and over, year after year, uh, it gets dull. And so um, the thing I have to remind myself was that initial engagement of, of the people aspect. And that's really where it's developed over the last 15 years because, you know, what it started with, like, you know, little things in, in London and New York and so on, uh, this is now metastasized. It, it's worldwide. Uh, you can go to small towns, uh, smaller cities all over the world and find cocktail scene, something interesting going on. Uh, and so that's what I find that keeps engaging me is, is, you know, finding the people who are doing interesting things, bringing their own kind of creativity to the mix, uh, their own stories to it. That's what keeps me engaged. In a city of 10,000 people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and actually, I mean, it is one, you know, I grew up in, in the middle of nowhere. I grew up in Oklahoma uh, in a rural community. Uh, so it really thrills me to see like smaller cities doing something cool. You know, yeah. uh, when you go somewhere, uh, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, um, I was brought into t- t- Tulsa, Oklahoma to, um, uh, to judge a cocktail competition that they do for, for a charity event yeah. for, for the local art museum. And, um, you know, I, I remember the first night in town, went into this, this one bar uh, and you know, looked at the back bar. And, you know, looked at the menu and thought somebody's been doing their homework here. You know, this, this feels like a Chicago bar. Yeah. Uh, and it was an awesome. It was an amazing bar. It was Valkyrie in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, they had a, an amazing cocktail program going on, and it just blew my mind. It really made me satisfied. You know, to go to Tulsa and have, <laughs> and have like a bona fide daiquiri. Awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. So when you sort of found the Drink Boy uh, forum and you started researching stuff, like that, you started your own website. Uh, 
What year did, was that? Yeah, so I started the Cocktail Chronicles in 2005. Uh, so it took me a couple of years just of you know reading and and pers- personal research uh, before you know kind of realized that there was a direction I could go with this. Um, you know, I really I wanted to. Write, I knew from the very start that this was something I wanted to write about. Um, it took me a couple of years just you know get the information and the background and the understanding, you know, the foundations together. Uh, in order to do that in an engaging and convincing manner. Uh, and I realized in 2005, you know, after you know, sending out a few pitches to editors that didn't really go anywhere, uh, because cocktail journalism at that time was still very, you know, yeah. it was basically Gary Ring and Dave Wondrich and uh, William Hamilton at that time in the New York Times. Uh, and, it, and it was pr- very, very limited. Yeah. So I thought I'll do the website, the blog, uh, basically as an online portfolio um, to show a, I know something about yeah. cocktails and history, and, and you know how all of this stuff goes together. And B, I know how to write about it in an engaging manner. Yeah. So it was something to, to put out there um, that editors would come across, or that I could point them to, and show them my work, and then build professionally. And, that, and that's pretty much exactly how it worked. Were you? Did you have a regular job as well as doing the cocktail truck? Yeah, I was. Time? I was doing a. I was. I was working at a, at a travel magazine uh, in Seattle, just as an editor at a travel magazine um, that had zero interest in running any kind of cocktail coverage. Which is um, weird now because every travel yeah. magazine's like got pages devoted to cocktail. A- absolutely, and the thing is, you know, when I see that magazine now, they have a dedicated column <laughs> to cocktails. Like, okay, you know, fifteen years ago, I offered. Yeah. But, you know. Well, then, yeah. now I think sometimes. Uh, People ask me, like, oh, how do you get this? How do you get that? I was like, just ask. Mm-hmm. And you ask and you ask and you ask. Mm-hmm. You email them and you drop them a link to something. You mm-hmm. go, like, I remember a number of times some projects where I, like, just set up till four in the morning, like, mm-hmm. writing to every single magazine mm-hmm. to start writing for them. And, yeah. like, if they said no, great, move on to the next one mm-hmm. and keep going from there. So, um, Cocktail Chronicles became... I would say pretty popular. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it was really surprising at, at the time. And so this was uh, May of 2005 uh, when I launched it. Um, it, you know, this was at the the, the golden era of food blogs. Yeah. Uh, but at the time, you know, nobody was doing anything dedicated cocktail-wise. And then right about that time, like in the next few months, uh, you saw a number of things coming online. And so just in that first six months or so, uh, Darcy O'Neill yeah. um, here in Ontario, uh, Jeff Morgenthaler came across him at some point, uh, the, a handful of other people uh, who, you know, now, you know, uh, here we are years later yeah. and, uh, you know, running into each other uh, in different parts of the world at these different events. Because yeah, I think 2005 was... 2005, 2006 is when Facebook started. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think so. I mean, I, I didn't. I was slow to get on Facebook. It took me. It took me a couple of years. Uh, but uh, it was really before. You know. Well, this was social media yeah. at the time. You know, like now blogs are Instagram posts. And yeah, like, yeah, exactly. YouTube videos and stuff like right, that. Right. Like they're not the heavy, well-written sort of mm-hmm. things they were back then. Um, so you had Cocktail Chronicles. I remember. I think the very first time I met you was in Seattle at Liberty, and I think Andrew Friedman introduced you as the only drink journalist that gets paid for what he does, (laughs) because obviously journalism, especially something that's so niche, Mm -hmm. very rarely gets the credit, and well, you get the credit, but it's the exposure that counts. Right, right. right. It's all about the exposure. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I think that's how he introduced you, was like, this is Paul Clark, he's the only journalist that gets paid for what he does. Right, right. 
It was, I mean, it was interesting. Like, when I first started, you know, my goal was, yeah, I'm going to get paid for this somehow yeah. uh, when I was doing the blog. And, and I think, again, you know, it was just kind of fortuitous timing in that uh, about le- less than six months after I started the blog, uh, a friend of mine who was an art director at, at the magazine I was working at at the time uh, and who knew of my interests uh, came over and said, did you know that there's a drinks magazine launching in Portland, Oregon? Because uh, he, he had come across a job advertisement uh, somewhere. And I looked up, and initially I just thought he was messing with me. I thought he was, you know, just, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. completely dedicated right, to drinks. Yeah, right, right, right. You, you almost got me that time. Um, and so I looked it up and, uh, you know, thought, this is kind of exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, so I sent off my resume and, and drove down to Portland, Oregon from Seattle. Um, met with Karen Foley, the publisher of, of Imbibe. This, this would have been the fall of 2005. Um, interviewed for the job that I have now. Did not get hired. but <laughs> Really? I did, not, I did not get the job, but I got picked up as a freelancer yeah. for, for issue number one, which came out in, um, uh, I believe that was uh, March, the March-April issue, if I'm remembering, no, May-June issue uh, of 2006. Uh, and, and I've been with Imbibe ever since. And I came on, you know, so I, I was writing with Imbibe uh, since issue number one and came on uh, as the editor uh, almost six years ago. Is it that long ago? Really? Yeah, it's, if, I, if I'm doing my math correct. Yeah, I think it's about right. Almost yeah, six years ago. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. And so Imbibe really is like the, I would say, the pinnacle of all drinks writing for North America. That's, well, that's definitely the goal. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that's what we aim for. And, and I mean, you know, again, you know, the timing uh, coming out in 2006 like that, um, if you went into a bookstore and you looked at the shelf, the only kind of cocktail coverage you're going to find is, you know, maybe like in the holiday issue of a food magazine. Yeah. Uh, that was typically, you know, where it wound up. Or, you know, summer, here's a rum drink. Yeah. Um, there was nothing dedicated uh, to spirits and cocktails. And, and keeping in mind that Imbibe also does wine and beer and coffee and tea and, and everything across, uh, the, you know, the bibula spectrum. But cocktails is kind of where, you know, that, that was where we distinguished ourselves early mm-hmm. on, I think. Uh, because there was nothing like that. Um, now you look, and, and there are a number of you know publications, online publications, things of the nature. Some of them are excellent, um, but like we we really kind of paved the way for a lot of that. And I think we do continue, and I'm proud that we continue to uphold that banner of, of really the best drinks writing uh, in the country. Do you find it difficult in this modern age to keep con- like you like even though we've got so much information available to us, we're less knowledgeable than we used to be. <laughs> so do you find it difficult to get to be really super plugged in because trends come and go real quick and like it, six month cycles and because you guys only publish every three months, right? Uh, yeah, we, yeah. We, we publish every, every two months, oh, every, right. so six times a year. Um, yeah, you know, and, and that's the thing. You know, things happen so quickly and uh, especially with online media being so prevalent, um, you know, that's really kind of surfing the trend wave. Yeah. Um, we we did that for a number of years, and we continue, of course, obviously, uh, to focus on what's new, what's upcoming, what's current. Um, a lot of that we do in our online coverage, a lot of that we do in print. However, being a print publication gives us, you know, could you could look at it as an obstacle where, you know, for example, right now, we're, we're, we're talking right now in mid-August, and I'm working on Christmas issue, yeah. um, where, you know, you're working that far in advance, so um, anything that happens between now and November is not going to be in that yeah. Christmas issue. But um, it does give us a luxury that we can think apart from that trend wave. I, I can get off of that uh, yeah. that roller coaster yeah. for a minute and kind of look, you know, take a bigger picture look. And and especially in the last few years, ever since we passed our tenth anniversary issue a few years ago, um, 
we have started look at, realizing that the drinks world is significantly different from the way it was when we started it. Um, it used to be we would run articles on, you know, here's what rye whiskey is. Yeah. Or here's, you know, here are different kinds of American gin. We still do stuff like that because you still have people who are coming into the loop and still, you know, and this is their, their, their first exposure to this stuff. But we can look at deeper stories. And again, bringing it back to what I said earlier about people being the foundation mm-hmm. of this, um, we can look at things like drinks culture. The way... Uh, the way, for example, immigrants have always played a part in the American bar and the mm-hmm. American cocktail experience, especially at a such a politically loaded time yep. in our nation's history, um, and in global uh, and in global history, we can talk about things like immigration. We can talk th- about things like climate change and and uh, mm-hmm. winemaking. Um, we can look at some of these deeper stories that really resonate on a larger way uh, with our culture and that is the luxury we have as a print publication looking at that and the luxury we have from having built up this reputation among writers and among our readers uh, to come along with us and then to know that we're, we're going to look at this in a very um, you know calm balanced and, and, and understanding way yeah, it's just not a whimsical summer issue like yes. I, I do I've enjoyed the more deeper like in the last couple of years that the more deeper things about coffee culture and mm-hmm like fair trade and all this like really right. deep conversations about right. fair trade and how it, it affects exactly exactly and you know and, 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 and to be fair you know we, we still yeah absolutely we still run you know here here eight great summer drink recipes because everybody wants great summer drink <laughs> recipes I want great summer drink <laughs> recipes uh, we do tons of that stuff and you know new beer styles and things of that nature but we want to make sure that that uh, we we take advantage of that opportunity to, to work in something uh, that's a little bit more serious or has a little bit more gravity or it offers a little bit greater insight into, into our drinks culture in mm-hmm. some way. Um, because again, you know, we, we have a really unique platform and I th- we have found that our readers are ready for that. Um, and we, and we also view our jobs as journalists. Uh, you know, we are not isolated from the things going on in the rest mm-hmm. of the world. And so we need to bring that into our coverage as long as we look at it in a balanced fashion and make sure that our readers are satisfied uh, at the end of the day. I think the big question that is on my mind right now, just, just thinking about it, is like, uh, with being print media, we all keep here. I think I was at the gym the other day and CNN was talking about how many paid newspapers have shut down. They picked this random little city in North Carolina and said, like, 200 papers have shut down in North Carolina. I'm like, why North Carolina of all places? But being print media and you're saying about the online presence and really solid websites and things, do you, is Imbibe still as impactful as a print, uh, print medium um, as it once was or was as all print media once was, are you still seeing like growth in sales and there's still solid people getting subscriptions to the the print version and stuff like that? Not everybody's transferring over to online. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and again, you know, I think this is where we kind of have a luxury of, of having both because just because we're a print publication doesn't mean we, we have to give up online. Um, you know, we, we, we have a dedicated digital editor, Emma Jansen. Um, we, you know, we have daily online coverage. We have a you know, very vibrant social media presence um, and we're actively engaged online and in, in digital media. But the print publication is is kind of the you know that that that's that's the ship. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what's guiding everything, and it gives us a couple of opportunities. Like I said, you know, to go into some of these deeper stories, longer ranging stories. But also keep in mind, Imbibe has always been a very uh, visually oriented yeah. magazine. Uh, we 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 have amazing photography, uh, and I can take no credit for that. <laughs> you know, we, we we have amazing staff and an amazing art director who who take care of all of that. Um, 
And that is something that, that honestly, you just don't get online. You, yeah. you, you don't get the same kind of tactile satisfaction yeah. uh, from, from you know, scrolling on your iPad uh, as you do from going through you know, this glossy magazine with vivid, vivid mm-hmm. photography, with great writing coming out. Uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, absolutely. Our, our numbers continue going up. Our, our circulation and subscribers keep going up. That's awesome. Um, you know, we, we have a really firm foundation. And even, you know, even when... Uh, the national or the global economy, you know, go through their ripples as they have a number of times uh, in the, uh, during the time that we've been around. And one thing that we found is that in good times, people drink. In yeah. bad times, people drink. <laughs> um, so they always come to us. We, you know, the, we've been fine. <laughs> um, you know, it, it hasn't touched us at all. Uh, so, yeah, even as, you know, even as local newspapers, uh, you know, close, which, which is a tragedy uh, because we really desperately need that kind of local news coverage mm-hmm. going on, especially uh, in today's kind of political climate. But we, we take our responsibility seriously, and we take, you know, and I take my responsibility seriously that, you know, here's a print publication and a world that's stacked against us. How do we remain vivid, and how do we, we remain engaging uh, and, and continue to direct people to, to pick that up? What, uh, what's excited you this year? Like, there's a bar show every week now, mm-hmm. literally in every single city all over the world, every single week there's a bar show going on somewhere. Right. Um, what's exciting you in the industry right now? Uh, personally, uh, you know there are a few things. Uh, I mean, you know, to, to take one step and look at the spirits world, um, rum is having an amazing moment right now. The, the world of mm-hmm. rum is, is it's really vivid on a story basis uh, and really vivid on a, on a consumer basis of what we're seeing in, in North America and in Europe uh, in terms of you know. Now in the U.S., we're seeing uh, Jamaican rums that you know you just never saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only is it you know. A greater um, diversity of product coming in, but it comes back to that whole aspect of story and mm-hmm. you know people getting a better understanding of what Jamaican rum actually is. Uh, same with Barbados rum. Uh, same with uh, the sugarcane spirits coming out of Mexico that mm-hmm. are coming to the U.S. now. Where now it's become a much more vivid world. Um, it's really cool for bartenders to have this stuff to work with. It's really great for consumers and for rum drinkers like myself to come across this stuff in the market. But also as a journalist, there are cool stories yeah. there. Um, so. <clears throat> So that's something that, that I'm really enjoying uh, working on right now. Um, likewise, you know, when we look domestically at stuff going in the United States uh, with our craft distilling yeah. industry, it's reaching a stage of maturation mm-hmm. now because uh, it used to be we were apologetic <laughs> for a lot of the craft spirits <laughs> coming out. Like, okay, that, that was this a is gin I got from Colorado. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, exactly, <laughs> um, and it was only sixty dollars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it was it used to be that way for a long time, yeah. and you know, the, I can't say the prices have gone down a lot, but the quality definitely has gone up in, in some circles um, where there are amazing craft spirits coming out of some circles you know to, to go back to my rum piece um, privateer rum in Massachusetts yep. just amazing stuff coming out of that from a craft distillery uh, in Massachusetts um, you know in, in my hometown of Seattle uh, Westland whiskey they're making an American single malt that is just astounding yep. um, you know earning these kind of global uh, followings for, for their stuff so Looking at what's going on in craft distilling as it kind of matures, uh, whether whether it's single malt whiskey or American brandy, because that's a really active category right now, and there's yeah, some really I'm, cool I'm stuff. I'm digging American brandy yeah, right now. Yeah, there's there's some really good stuff coming out of California now. Uh, we're seeing stuff from other parts of the country. It's 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 going to be something to keep an eye on. So those are some things I'm really enjoying. Um, as I said earlier, I love seeing smaller markets and and uh, non traditional cities uh, coming into the cocktail circuit. You know, 
one of the cities we always talked about for years of San Francisco, mm-hmm. which is, you know, of course, they're one of, you know, one of the hallmarks of, of the cocktail renaissance. Um, about a year ago, I went to Oakland, you know, just right across mm-hmm. the bay, and... Um, Man, Oakland is is really going on right yeah. now, and you know because it's like the, the the cost of a liquor license is a fraction of, yeah. of that in San Francisco, and also since it's much cheaper, relatively cheaper to live there than in San Francisco. That's where a lot of bartenders and staff live, <laughs> so they think, well, why the hell don't I just you know make make life easier for myself and open a bar over here? So you have this amazing cocktail culture going on across the bay now. Um, that's really cool to see, as well as in smaller cities uh, and in uh, in other cities around the world, where you kind of see that. Um, taking the cocktail experience uh, as, and integrating their own kind of local drinks culture mm-hmm. into it. So, you know, you get these things in places like Berlin, uh, or I'm, I'm heading to Buenos Aires in a couple of months, and I'm really excited to see what's going on there. Nice. Uh, or so, Singapore, where you are, and, you know, to, to see um, how these things are coming together and every place is kind of putting their own little stamp yeah. on it. What's your favorite bar show in the world? Do you uh, have my one? Favorite, it's you know, uh, I to, to be honest, I don't go to a lot of bar shows simply because it's not really what I'm looking for. Yeah. That said, uh, I'm, I'm heading back to Berlin in a couple of months for a bar convent. Um, that man, one's a beast. That's that's uh, that's you know that's an amazing show. It is. <laughs> like I, I remember doing bar convent a couple of years ago, and coming from Canada, being super governmentally restricted mm-hmm. on everything, and. You show up and the bars are just mm-hmm. like the the installs and the activations yeah. are just mental. Yeah, and I was there with Fernet Brunker and like we got a cocktail menu and stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so why don't you give everybody like a two ounce pour, mm-hmm. like what it would be like pretty much any show in North mm-hmm. America. Like mm-hmm. you're not giving a full cocktail, right? right? It's like, oh no, full cocktail, just full cocktails. Right, right. And I'm like, you you serious? Like bartenders are gonna come here for eight hours drinking mm-hmm. full cocktails? Right. And like the setups were like running water and mm-hmm. proper drains. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Okay, we'll do full cocktails. Yeah. And the place is just packed out with bartenders mm-hmm. from all over the world, drinking full cocktails, so it gets messy at the end of the mm-hmm. day most of the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is a massive show. It's, it's absolutely massive, and, and one of the things I loved about it is, you know, like you said, I'm coming in from the United States and seeing lots of these small distillers that only distribute in Europe, uh, where I'm tasting spirits that I would never come across yeah. again. And uh, some of it was just astounding. You know, last year when I was there... Um, I was working on a big package feature for the magazine about gin, and so I was just like tasting every single gin that I could come across <laughs> at Bar Convent, uh, and there was some astounding gin. Like, I got so much material to work with. This year, uh, of course, they're focusing on rum. Uh, that, that's the stage of focus for Bar Convent Berlin, uh, and, and being a, a dedicated rum drinker myself, uh, I'm really excited about some of the stuff uh, I'm, that, I'm, that I'm looking forward to tasting on there. Uh, but yeah, that's that's an amazing show, and and I mean Barcom in Brooklyn, uh, much much smaller in scale, yeah. uh, but still the same kind of aim, the same kind of quality going on with it. So uh, I've I've been really excited. You know, they've only done that two years now in the U.S., uh, but it's 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 now on my circuit. Mm-hmm. I look forward to that. Uh, nice. to going to that all year. So what are you going to bring in Buenos Aires for? Uh, I'm going. So it's uh, it's I'm probably going to mispronounce the name, but it's it, it's B A C Inspira, okay. uh, which is a, a, a bartender conference uh, in, in, in Buenos Aires. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go down and talk about drink trends and kind of what's going mm-hmm. on in the world of cocktails. Uh, I have two speaking sessions that will be actually next month in, in September, uh, and, I'm, and this will be my first trip to Buenos Aires, so I'm really excited about nice. that city. Yeah. Nice. So what's next, uh, what's, what, uh, outside of bar shows and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, what, what's... Uh, 
the next six months for you is, is just a little bit of travel, running from vibe, any personal projects? Um, I, I don't have any personal projects going on at this time. You know, I, my, uh, you know, the working with Imbibe and uh, the bar shows and things of that nature are taking up a lot of my, my professional time. Um, so really just, you know, um, my kids are getting older, so spending a little time with them. I'm actually sending my son off to college in September. Uh, so, you know, enjoying having a slightly emptier house, yeah. I suppose. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't have any other books or anything like that that I'm working on, which, which uh, you know, check in in a year, see what's going on. <laughs> but right now it's nice to just, you know, focus on, on what's Do going on in the magazine. Then the but, yeah, exactly. And, and really, you know, right now, um, like I said, we're looking at our holiday issue, but I'm thinking for 2020. I'm, I'm planning all next year for the magazine, wow. what we're going to do. Uh, and so those are the, those are the wheels going around in my head right now. Nice. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. I know that TOCC is always crazy busy for yeah. everybody, and um, I think I've still got three more podcasts to do today. Okay. Yeah, three more. <laughs> three more should do it. Right. Right. So, but thank you very much, sir. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thanks, guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and people who I haven't met before or mentors or people I idolize and uh, fanboy out a little bit. Uh, I really hope you enjoy uh, the episodes and uh, everything you get from them um, because like, I'm just going to keep loving doing them and they're just going to keep happening. But uh, I recently started working uh, with Beyond Footwear out of Toronto. Um, Beyond Footwear is, if you've looked at my Instagram or my social media, uh, my uh, fantastic shoes that I wear around. Uh, my pink flamingos get a lot of attention um but I, i've started working with them as their brand ambassador so if you go to beyondfitwear.com so b-i-i-o-n footwear.com and order a pair of shoes and type in my name and hopefully if you're listening to this podcast you know how to spell my name you'll get 20 percent off a pair of shoes um i really enjoy them I, they're comfy as hell i travel in them i work in them i do absolutely everything in them um and i really enjoy working with these guys it's an amazing company out of toronto and i am thankful that i have been given the opportunity to be a brand ambassador so i want to thank everybody for the support for the podcast i want to thank everybody for uh following along on social media and uh if you want a cool gangster pair of shoes you've got to have a pair Beyonds. See you guys. Bye.